Welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. This is Gullah Jack. I'm here with Tahira Makaru and Brother Amos. Very briefly, the Ahmad Aubrey situation where we have a situation where uh, the McMichaels have been charged with felony murder, aggravated assault, false imprisonment. The defense for the McMichaels are trying to use the citizen's arrest code as a basis of their defense enacted in 1862, justifying the apprehension of any African-American or slave by any so-called citizen. The Brunswick population in Glenn County is roughly 20%. Given this reality, it is not uncommon has not been uncommon throughout the annals of our system that we refer to the criminal injustice system to have an African-American who has been murdered unrepresented. There's one African-American serving on the jury. This smells or bespeaks of a situation where the murderers, the race warriors were exonerated as in the case of Emmett Lewis Till, as well as Trayvon Martin. This is a 50-50 toss-up. This is the African Liberation Media. Ladies and gentlemen, take it where you've, wherever you want to take it. Thanks, Brother brother Swills. Um, so I want to talk uh, for a minute about, um, well, in response to recent comments by Carol Swain, uh, Winsome Sears and um, Condoleezza Rice. Um, Condoleezza Rice was on uh, The View a few weeks ago in October. And I just want to first uh, read her comments, uh, some of her comments briefly. She said, the American people are now concerned about what we call kitchen table issues. What happens to their kids in schools? One of the worries that I have about the way that we're talking about race is that it either seems so big that somehow white people now have to feel guilty for everything that happens in the past, or black people have to feel disempowered by race. She says, I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness, but in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. She says black kids for a long time for the way they were portrayed, the way their history was portrayed, it was second class citizenship. And I want to note that she said their history and not our history. I have no problem, she says, with people letting with letting people know what happened. But let's remember, history is complex. But what do we do? But, but what we don't do is make seven and 10 year olds feel that they are somehow bad because of the color of their skin. 
My parents never thought I was going to grow up in a world without prejudice, but, but they also told me that that's someone else's problem, not yours. You're going to overcome it and you're going to be anything you want to be. Uh, first, that, that says a lot about her um, and how she ra was raised and, and it um, now it, it makes clear why she chose her uh, chose her associations and her political affiliations and so forth. But um, to be raised to, to think that black people's problems is uh, somebody else's problems um, is the antithesis of uh, who we are, who we've been uh, as African people. Um, and then it is also the antithesis of the third principle of the Ngusu Saba, um, which we um, study, we practice when we are, um, those of us that practice Kwanzaa, and that's Ujima, collective work and responsibility. And that, that principle says to build and maintain our community together and to make our brothers and sisters problems, our problems and solve them together. And so uh, obviously the way that uh, Condoleezza Rice was raised was the uh, exact opposite of that. But just imagine if Harriet Tubman and Denmark Vesey had the mentality that Condoleezza Rice had, or if Booker T. Washington and Elizabeth Wright and Mary McLeod Bethune had that mentality about um, education after they had gotten their own. But the, the, the most concerning thing is that she talks about racism as if it's a thing of the past. And, you know, she's talking about racism and this hypothetical um, critical race theory is not even being taught in elementary, middle or high school. But they're talking about this hypothetical situation of making seven and uh, 10 year old white kids feel a certain type of way in school. But in reality, we have black kids seven and 10 years old feeling bad all of the time on, on a regular basis in school. And uh, for instance, in January of 2020, and there's a 10 year old black girl in Hawaii. She was arrested at her elementary school for drawing a picture of her bully. Uh, the, the bully's mother didn't like it and she sent the police to arrest the 10 year old black girl. Uh, the 10 year old black girl was arrested in front of her classmates in her classroom. And uh, when the mother came up to the school, they wouldn't even allow the mother to see her 10 year old minor child. Um, they took the kid to the girl to uh, I think it's Pearl City Police Station um, and interrogated her without her mother being present and uh, finally eventually uh, uh, released the 10 year old girl. So we're not talking about some hypothetical situation where kids are being taught something that is not even in the curriculum. Uh, this is real life. What's happening to black kids that are made to feel bad every day about their race and then even more egregious then that is Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee. They down there they have a or right our neighbors. They have a judge Donna Scott uh, Davenport. And I'm give you a little bit of a background information about her because we uh, we have to be so exceptional to get in positions, and they just can be the bottom of the barrel. Uh, some of the most ignorant. And when she finally passed, uh, graduated from law school, it took her uh, almost a decade to uh, pass the bar exam. Um, and then when she was appointed as a juvenile court referee, a year later, she uh, the federal 
the feds came in and said that they had violated federal law 191 times. And this is all uh, directly related to, to her style. And they, they violated because they were holding kids longer than the law allowed. Um, and then in 2003, Rutherford County uh, established a juvenile court position and Davenport has been elected, was elected, and she has held that position ever since. Davenport is a 69-year-old white woman. Um, so basically, she sets all the rules. She appoints the magistrates, the jailers, um, and she presides over all of the cases. And uh, just as a side note, the detention uh, center at Rutherford County is a two-tiered jail with 48 cells and 64 beds. It's a uh, part of a big uh, 20, 20 plus million uh, complex in uh, Rutherford County. But anyway, where am I getting with going with this? So uh, a YouTube, a video shows up on YouTube in uh, 2016 and it shows some kids at a park. Um, there was a pickup basketball game and you all know how the parks go. Somebody starts talking junk. Somebody says something about someone's mother and a five and six year old uh, black kid end up uh, punching uh, this larger, larger kid as he walks away. And of course, when in a fight breaks out, what do we do? We gather around and watch. And so kids of similar ages gather around, gather around to watch and, the video was posted to YouTube and the faces were made some type of filter. The faces were made fuzzy so you couldn't even identify the uh, kids. But uh, a Karen officer, uh, Crystal Templeton, uh, sees the video and she decides that she wants to do something about it. And she wants to put the kids in front of this um, this judge, Donna Davenport, so that they can get there, uh, you know, they can be punished accordingly. So she takes the uh, information that she has and first she goes around to the neighborhoods and various schools and is trying to identify the kids that are in the video. Finally, she finds a parent that bites in uh, her, her child who happens to be a fourth grader. She, uh, she was actually at the fight. She was a witness and she was uh, in the video. You can hear her saying, stop Tay-Tay, stop Tay-Tay um, several times. So the, the fourth grader that was there saying stop Tay Tay, she and another friend helped identify the other kids that had gathered around to, to watch the fight. So the 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 Karen officer, Officer Templeton, tells uh the fourth grade's uh fourth grader's mother, hey, I'm not gonna do anything. I just want to talk to the kids. So they spilled the beans, they, as we would say, snitched on everybody that was there. And so then this officer takes this information to a DA who, or ADA rather, who says, well, I can't charge a five and six year old for this. And uh, and I can't charge you know anybody that was a spectator to the fight. And that's what uh, Officer Templeton was wanting to do. She was wanting, she really was wanting to charge the people that had watched the fight, the kids that had watched the fight. So she bypassed what the ADA says and she takes the the issue to um, 
to, let me get this straight, to what they call them judicial commissioners in uh, Rutherford County. Now in Tennessee, they don't require the judicial commissioners to have any legal experience or education. In fact, you can have a high school diploma and a driver's license and, and get this uh, position. In fact, one of the uh, commissioners that this Karen officer uh, took the, uh, the issue to, uh, she, she had all that's all she had was a high school diploma and a, a little um uh, i guess office experience and she she was appointed as judicial commission judicial commissioner so uh this amy anderson and sherry hamlet two karens um they get to work trying to find some charges uh, something to charge these kids that had watched the fight with so uh, they, they find something that uh, they say uh, criminal responsibility of conduct. Um, and <clears throat> they gather 10 uh, petitions, they issue them and sign them for, for uh, 10 of the, the students, 10 of the kids, which are all black. So they go to uh, this elementary school, Hobgood Elementary School in um uh, Murfreesboro, which is in Rutherford County, and uh, the three off they send three officers and uh, two black, one white, and um, they're there's they're there to pick up four four uh, black girls. And at this school, I just want to make a note: this school is uh, ninety percent of the kids are are uh, are poor, and sixty sixty six percent are are black or Latino. And so, but the principal is uh, white. So you have this white officer there. He's telling the principal to go get the girls. You have a black officer there telling the principal not to go get the girls. And then you have this one other off black officer there. He's not saying anything. So long story short, uh, and this is, um, you can read more about this on ProPublica, but long story short, uh, the principal asked, well, can I at least call the kids, you know, the parents, the white officer who the principal says was really aggressive. Um, she says, no, you can't call the parents. So she goes and gets the girls. Uh, she gets one sixth grader who uh, tells the principal, you know, these two two other girls, they weren't even there to witness the fight. You know, what are you getting them for? She, they grabbed two fourth graders, uh, one of them who's 10 years, 10 years old. Um, that's the one they grabbed the fourth grader that actually had helped with the list of kids. Um, and then they grab an eight year old third grader. And this is all uh, pull them out of class. And this is all uh, towards the end of the, the school day. And um, they handcuff the sixth grader. The white officer handcuffs the sixth grader and takes another fourth grader. And uh, and they they go to uh, the detention center. Um, and then uh, the the black officers take the other the other students to the to the detention center as well. And um, so we're talking about you know making seven and 10 year olds feel a certain way in school. And this is really, you know, the tragedy of what happens to, to black kids, at, you know, every day in, in the United States. Um, but so including the eight year old who was actually arrested by mistake, 
there were um, there were a lot, uh, 11 black children who were arrested and that's including the eight year old um, for this 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 uh, YouTube video uh, for a charge, by the way, that didn't even exist. It wasn't a charge. It wasn't a crime. Um, five of uh, the students were were um, girls and six were boys The all of the girls were released um, after they were um went to the detention center. They were finally released. Two of the boys were released and four of the boys were held. Um, and in that year, that fiscal year that um, this happened, April 15, 2016, in that fiscal year, Rutherford County jailed um, 986 children uh, for a total of nine, um, for a total of 7,932 days. Uh, but one of the 12 boys that was uh, jailed for this uh, fight that uh, he had watched. He spent two nights at the detention center. Um, I remind you, this was a for a crime that didn't exist. He spent two, spent two nights in the detention center and uh, some of that time was spent in solitary confinement because he had stood by a window in his cell. So when we talk about how we're making kids feel in schools, in public schools in the United States, um, and we're talking about, you know, this in regards to uh, curriculum that's not even being taught. Um, how do you not include how these black children are being treated every day? Just a quick Google search of, you know, teen slammed at school by school resource officer. Um, you'll see a, a million things about black students, you know, being slammed by the people at school that are supposed to protect them. In addition to the fact that this Karen officer wanted these students to do what a lot of teachers are, are asked or not even allowed to do in schools. A lot of um, districts, a lot of states don't allow their uh, teachers to break up fights. You have to call security. You have to call the school resource officer. And then again, at, at home, I was taught uh, from an incident that happened with my brother, he was trying to break up a fight and then he got in trouble because he was trying to break up the fight because, you know, administrators, administrators can't tell who was who, you know, when everything um, boils down to it. So a lot of kids are taught not to, you know, get involved in breaking up a fight. And um, this officer wanted um, the students to do what some teachers in the United States are not even allowed to do and what a lot of us are raised uh, not to do um, and, you know, came up with this uh, bogus um, charge to charge them with. So I don't know what, what you all's uh, thoughts on that. If you give me some input, because I just thought it was ridiculous. Well, you know, <clears throat> one thing that comes to mind is uh, one of the iconic statements from Dr. Touré and others, uh, you know, if, if you want to lynch me, you have a problem. But if you have the power to do so, I have a problem. So, you know, Condoleezza is out to lunch. Uh, that's the best way I can put it. Uh, you know, individualism, run amok, uh, deculturization, which is the price she has paid to become one of the neocons, uh, pyromaniacs of the world. Uh, <laughs> I have to go back to what the preacher says on Sunday morning, you know, what does it profit a woman, you know, to gain, you know, just a, a fragment of the world and lose your whole soul. 
uh, going back to Dr. Ture, you know, just so many of us co-opted and in procuring a 30 pieces of silver, you know, he told us that Judas was given a bad name. At least he had the decency to kill himself. Many of these people who need to grow, these Negroes are still collecting 30 pieces of silver. You know, and uh, there appears to be a proliferation. You know, you got Tim Scott, you know, uh, America's not racist. Yeah. He uttered uh, in tone that statement here recently. Of course, you got uh, the Battlestar, Death Star Coons, Coon de Soins. <laughs> yep. And others, people of that ilk. Uh, Kunye. You know, Kunye West, <laughs> Death Star Coons. Another phrase in the nomenclatures is Kundastic. Yes, one of the positive aspects of the English language. We can just make up words. They're not going to make them up for us. <laughs> like Amos Wilson said, we have to make up words. Appreciate your overtures, young lady. No problem. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, you know what? They, 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 they latched on to this phrase that I guarantee you... Uh, 90% of them are better, have no idea what they're talking about. In fact, they asked, I saw something, it might have been on the Black News Channel, which is surprisingly, uh, surprisingly uh, informative, considering uh, what was expected from J.C. Watts. But they, they were asking this guy, he, he was talking about he was opposed to critical race theory and the reporter asked him what was crit critical race theory and this guy was stumbling fumbling bumbling all over himself not didn't have well i i don't know exactly what it is but i know it's wrong and so but but what you really have the educational system is dominated by white race theory that's what they really are i mean that's the that's the real issue the real issue is white race theory and practice as uh, we as we can see from you know what is happening to these uh, black children you know, in these schools, you know, it doesn't matter if they are uh, a majority of the students in the schools or not. So uh, when you when you have a country constructed on a foundation of lies, anything that poses a threat to those lies is a matter of life and death for them. So, you know, that that's why that's why you see this type of behavior. And of course, you know, they can always find, uh, you know, the people like Dr. Rice and, you know, Dr. Swain, uh, educated at, at Princeton, uh, formerly taught at Vanderbilt, native of Virginia, who seems to have difficulty with the English language, pronouncing parents, <laughs> parents or something to that effect. Uh, and then, then this, uh, this latest uh, AR-15 carrying uh, former Marine Lieutenant Governor that they just elected in uh, Virginia, Ms. Sears. So, hey, listen, just like they hired Skip Gates to attack the 
the African Synod movement back in the 1990s when uh, Asa Hilliard and, and Dr. Clark and others were trying to get, uh, you know, the African uh, Synod education, uh, you know, included in the public school curriculum. They, 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 they tried it out, skip gates to, to attack the African Synod movement. And now they have, you know, the, the Condoleezza Rices and the Carol Swains to do the same thing. So all we can say is that, you know, it's uh, the, the, the trough of white supremacy is busy. It's, it's, it's a busy feeding spot, you know, on both sides, the left side, the right side, whoever's in the middle, they all feeding from the trough of uh, white supremacy because they have a vested interest in maintaining uh, the American empire. Uh, speaking of the American empire, our good brother, Amos Kepra has returned from uh, his recent uh, study uh, research trip to, uh, to uh, our homeland uh east africa uh uh he was visiting on this particular uh this particular trip so he has a lot of information uh i'm sure for us uh as uh you know we have uh deep concerns about you know what is happening uh you know to uh our brothers and sisters in ethiopia so uh i'm gonna turn it over to uh brother almost and uh let him, uh, you know, carry out the uh, the rest of the program. Beautiful Hodier, thank you, Baba Makaru. And uh, it's good to be back. Uh, did have a, a great journey uh, in the continent, uh, traveling to Kenya, Tanzania, and uh, Uganda, and uh, vast amounts of information uh, to share. Uh, but tonight, like you said, specifically, I really want to focus in on an emergency situation that's going on right now on the continent in Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is a very important country as it relates to the African continent. I just want to share my screen here. Um, the reason being is that Ethiopia represents African resistance. Ethiopia represents Africa fighting to maintain uh, sovereignty. This map that you're looking at right here is a map from 1914. And if anyone knows anything about the scramble for Africa or the Berlin Conference, which took place in 1884, these European nations pretty much colonized and decided which territories that they were going to take for themselves on the African continent. So if you look here, you can see the French pretty much took control of the majority of West Africa. The British controlled the majority of Eastern Africa. Uh, the Germans uh, took what they could. The Spanish took what they could. The Italians took what they could. And the Belgians, all they needed was the Congo because that was the, the golden prize where the vast majority of resources exist. You know, and the Dutch still got in where they could fit in in the rape and the exploitation and underdevelopment of Africa. And this is what you see primarily still in, in, in existence through neocolonialism today. But as you can see on this map here, in 1914, there were two areas or two countries in Africa primarily that were not uh, controlled 
by European imperialism, and that was Liberia on the western coast of Africa and on the east coast of Africa, Ethiopia. And when we look back and we look into currently the Ethiopian people and culture that still exists in Ethiopia, we can see that because colonization never fully took place, the main the maintaining of African culture uh, was able to stay intact primarily due to this fact. Now, many of us here in the diaspora, you know, we are into various parts of African culture, African spirituality, and even in certain parts of the continent, this is still practiced uh, through various ethnic groups. But many of the ethnic groups are modernized which means they operate under some form of modern constraints, uh, whether, that's the, whether that's the acceptance of modern currencies, speaking modern languages, or languages that were forced on them due to colonialism. But in Ethiopia, when you go amongst certain ethnic groups that still exist in the southern part of Ethiopia, like in the Omo Valley, you have people like the Mercy or the Hammer, uh, people like the Suri, who their culture is still intact for thousands of years due to not being colonized, and they are not modernized. Some of these ethnic groups, if you approach them with money, they'll slap your hand away because they are not living in the same world under the same conditions of other African people that have been colonized in other places on the continent. So when we go back and we look at the struggle to maintain this sovereignty in Ethiopia, we can go back to the first Italian and Ethiopian war, which took place in 1895 through 1896. And this disagreement, which took place between Emperor Menelik II over a treaty called the Treaty of Uchali. In this treaty, in Article 17, there were two interpretations that were given on this treaty because this treaty was written in Amharic and it was also written in Italian. The Italians did not know that Emperor Menelik could understand Italian. So they did what Europeans normally do. They practice lies and deceit. And in doing so, they wrote two separate meanings for the treaty uh in amharic versus in italian and we look here it says in the amharic version of the treaty article 17 states that his majesty the king of ethiopia can use the government of his majesty the king of italy for all treatments that did business with other powers of governments according to this version the emperor of ethiopia is granted a choice and is not mandated to use the italian government to conduct foreign relations the Italian version, however, on the other hand, stated that the Ethiopian, that Ethiopia was obliged to conduct all foreign affairs through Italian authorities, in effect, making Ethiopia an Italian protectorate. So this was the difference. And in October 1889, the Italians informed all of the other European governments that Ethiopia was now an Italian protectorate because of this Treaty of Uchali. And therefore, the other European nations could not conduct diplomatic relations with Ethiopia, with the exceptions of the Ottoman Empire, which still maintained its claim to Eritrea and Russia, which disliked the idea 
of an Orthodox nation being subjugated to a Roman Catholic nation. So here we see Russia on the right side of history once again. But it goes on to say all of the European powers accepted the Italian claim to a protectorate. So this caused this war and confrontation to take place because here you can see above Ethiopia, you see Eurasia and the Italians were in control primarily of Eritrea and Somalia. Okay, so in Eritrea, the Italians got assistance from many of the Eritreans who participated in, in, in war against Ethiopia, and these were known as the Scari soldiers. So just like today, you have you always have you know Negro or black conspirators that will assist Europeans uh, and act as a European lapdog to fight against their own African brothers and sisters for the betterment of the European. But this was a failed attempt. And at the Battle of Adwa, the Ethiopians, even though they were vastly outnumbered, destroyed the Italians and pretty much won this war between Ethiopia and Italy and maintained Ethiopia's sovereignty and were and was able to keep this sovereignty up until at least the 1930s until the second Italian-Ethiopian war during the time of Emperor uh, Haile Selassie and the uh, Prime Minister of Italy at the time, Benito Mussolini. So if you look at this map here, during this time, with the Italian control of Eritrea and Somalia, the Italians realized that they would that they would not be able to beat the Ethiopians in hand to hand combat on the ground. So they resulted in using uh, illegal war tactics, like dropping mustard gas on innocent civilians all throughout the country of Ethiopia to weaken the Ethiopian military and help them to win this battle and win this war, the second war against Ethiopia. But even in winning this war, there were still several countries who did not accept Italian sovereignty over Ethiopia. Now, when we look at this second Italian war, it's important for us to point out this fact that Ethiopia has always been a very important country to African people in the diaspora. Whether that's looking at Ethiopia from a biblical perspective for the people who follow the Bible and they look at Ethiopia as being where the original Garden of Eden was or from a independence perspective of, of Ethiopia representing the independence of Africa. So there were many African-Americans during this time in the second Ethiopian and Italian war that wanted to go and enlist in the Ethiopian army to fight against the Italians. And there were rules that existed at this time, you know, according to the United States uh, constitution that basically stated that if you went and you fought for another country in another war, that you could, you, you could lose your, you know, us citizenship. But, even still, many people didn't care. They said, you know, we, we, we're being treated badly over here anyway, so 
why not you know go and fight for a, a country that we have uh, a patriotic attachment to but they were denied many of them didn't have the funds to go and the ones who did were denied visas to be able to actually get into the country to fight but there were two people who were both pilots who provide their own transportation to Ethiopia that actually did go and join the Ethiopian army and fight uh, in this war. And one of those people was from right here in the United States, Charles uh, John Charles Robinson, who was also known as the Brown Condor. Now, one thing to note about uh, John Charles Robinson is that he was an aviator who unofficially attended aviation school in Chicago. So he worked as a janitor until, you know, they finally let him into the school. And he's known today by many people as the father of the Tuskegee Airmen because he contributed to many of the aviation programs that began at the Tuskegee Institute uh, in Alabama in the early 1940s. But if you look at the consciousness that john charles robinson had in his time as it relates to ethiopia and what it meant to the african diaspora here you can see what he says that in early 1935 when much of the world realized italy was gearing up for war with ethiopia robinson announced that he would help in the war efforts against the fascist italian forces Robinson noted that Ethiopia was the only African nation to have successfully resisted colonial conquests by European imperial forces in the late 19th century. Because of this, Robinson argued that Italian invasion posed a threat to more than just Ethiopia, but the greater idea of independence in Africa. So this is an example, a true example of what people would call Pan-Africanism somebody that's willing to renounce their U.S. citizenship and go and fight for their brothers and their sisters on the continent of Africa against the real enemy, which is these European and Western countries. There was also Hubert Julian, who was known as the Black Eagle of Harlem from Trinidad, who also went and enlisted in the Ethiopian army. He was also an aviator and he fought in the Ethiopian war. So this is just showing you that connection. Now, why is all this important? When we look at the situation that's going on today, uh, Abiy Ahmed is currently the prime minister of Ethiopia. Now, when Abiy Ahmed was, was first elected, and I remember it, it was you know back in 2018, uh, Baba Maku and now we talked about this because the moves that he was making at the time we felt that we felt that there were two leaders in Africa that were representatives of the better the the um the um the best conditions for African people I should say one being John Magafuli of Tanzania and John Magafuli uh, we 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 put people on to John Magafuli primarily before a lot of people even knew who he was or even knew what he stood for. We were talking about John Magafuli because we believed that he was the best leader 
uh, that existed on the African continent because he represented a true African nationalist who was against corruption, who loved African people, and who knew um, that neocolonialism was an issue and put policy policies in place that were for the betterment of his people. So in comes Abi Ahmed, and originally the talks around the world were positive when Abi Ahmed took office. So here you can see even on CNN, this article that's talking about Ethiopians believing that Abi Ahmed is the prophet that's coming to bring, you know, not only peace, but opportunity to many of the Ethiopian people. He even won a Nobel Peace Prize for his role in ending a pretty much a 20 year war between Ethiopia and Eritrea. And one of the things that he did, if you look at this, if you look at this area here uh, called Botmi in Ethiopia, this is a border that originally Eritrea and Ethiopia were in conflict over. And Abiy Ahmed surrendered this area to Eritrea and met with Eritrean leaders, which led to them uh, coming to an agreement and developing a peace deal. So the prospect of Abiy Ahmed amongst many people around the world, even including Western leaders, was positive because they believed that not only would he bring peace, but they believed that he still could be controlled. Hmm. So we go forward and we look at some of the things that he did. Now, this is not me saying that I agree with everything that Abiy Ahmed uh, did or does. That's not what this is about. But when we look at what he did, he established a peace treaty between Ethiopia and Eritrea. He pardoned over 7,600 political prisoners. So there's been this long, you know, conflict that has been going on in the country. And you do have the Tigray who have pretty much predominantly been running Ethiopia for a very long time. Um, but, you know, he freed those political prisoners he privatized some state-owned enterprises, which basically means that he allowed investors to come in, even some foreign investors, to come in and have shares in some of state-owned enterprises like, you know, Ethiopian Airlines, for example. The government still owned the majority of the shares, so they would still have control over the decision-making and the, the vast control of the revenue but he opened the country up in order to provide more opportunity. He's working to establish the Ethiopian Stock Exchange. So Ethiopia is one of the biggest countries in the world, or the biggest country in the world, and the most populated country in the world that doesn't have a stock exchange. And there are other countries in Africa that have a stock exchange, uh, like Nigeria and many other countries that have this. Uh, he expanded Ethiopia's port access. So in Djibouti, in Somalia, and in certain places in Eritrea, he expanded Ethiopia's port access because Ethiopia is a landlocked country. And this opens up, you know, more opportunity for trade and being able to export 
um, your resources out of the country to be able to make money. And the most important thing that he did, which is probably the most controversial or the most controversial issue that is the cause of what you're seeing right now, is he started what's known as the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam Project, or what people call GERD. And this is what led to the situation that we're seeing now with the United States, which we're going to get into, and Egypt, and in some cases, even Sudan, working to destabilize Ethiopia because of this development. So when we look at this dam, we're talking about, this is a, a hydro-powered dam that will provide energy to the Ethiopian people, which at this point in time, 60% of people in Ethiopia do not have electricity. And not just Ethiopia, this is a problem across the continent of Africa, period. On the African continent, there's at least 600 million people who do not have power. So when we look at this project, we can see that the primary purpose of this dam is electricity production to relieve Ethiopia's acute energy shortage and for electricity export to neighboring countries. Now, why is this important? When you have power, when you have electricity, what can you do? You can produce, you can be productive. You can also cut down on utilizing a lot of your other resources that you have to burn and use for some type of power and fuel, like your forest, not cutting down so many trees to have to try to use that for some type of power. Now you have access to this electricity, which this means development. Okay, you give people power, now you have the ability to continue to grow and then also, when you can export this power to neighboring countries, you can bring in revenue while at the same time helping your neighboring countries. So we look at the countries around Ethiopia, we can see you have Kenya, which has power shortage issues, Somalia, Djibouti, Eritrea, and even Sudan. So this is not only solving a problem for Ethiopian people, but it's also solving a problem for other countries and other peoples on the African continent, which leads to more development. So this is the primary reason that Western countries fear the full development of this damn project and really want the Egyptians and the Ethiopians to go to war over this dam so that Egypt can potentially destroy it um, for this particular reason. Here it says that with a planned installed capacity of 6.45 gigawatts, the dam will be the largest hydroelectric power plant in Africa when completed, as well as the seventh largest in the world. So once again, Ethiopia developing this dam empowers them by empowering and giving power to their people and the other things that Abiy Ahmed is doing in the country leads more to more opportunity for development uh, in the country. And this is not something that Europeans are willing to accept because in order for them to continue to profit and maximize their profit, 
they have to keep Africa underdeveloped. So I'm going to play a short clip going into the importance of this dam and also showing you why these European nations have a problem with it. The Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, a $5 billion mega project, will be Africa's largest, generating hydropower from the Blue Nile, locally known as the Abai River. The aim is to electrify Ethiopia and propel this country into the 21st century. This huge project is key to Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed's vision for the country. But neighboring Sudan and Egypt, who have relied on the river for millennia, say the dam could cut vital water supply by up to 25% while its reservoir fills up. This Egyptian TV interview with the American general in charge of CENTOCOM shows how serious the situation could become. In it, he firmly supports Egypt's position. The Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, or the GERD as we call it, is very concerning to us. We recognize the unique uh, importance of the Nile to uh, Egypt, not only culturally, but also for water supply and for uh, the general economy overall. And I think Egypt has actually exercised enormous statesmanlike restraint as they've tried to find a political diplomatic solution to this problem. So the, the Egyptians believe that Ethiopia filling up its reservoir for this dam is going to cut their water supply on the Nile by 25%. This is what they believe because they say that the Blue Nile is the main tributary to the Nile. And this is where they get a lot of their water from. Ethiopia is saying that that's not the case and that Sudan and, Ethiopia and, and Egypt will not lose their water supply. But for the United States to um, pick sides in this debate or, or this conflict between Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sudan, it's not just because they're allies with Egypt and they're trying to back up an ally. The United States would not stick its neck out for an ally unless it is something that is going to benefit them or continue to benefit um, Western imperialism. So um, we can, you know, look at the United States previous administration under, you know, the Trump era. And this is something that they cut aid to Ethiopia over because of the building of this dam. So this is September of 2020, uh, right before, you know, the last U.S. election. The United States suspends aid to Ethiopia over the Blue Nile Dam dispute. And not only did the United States suspend aid to Ethiopia, Donald Trump actually came out and pretty much released a statement um, promoting war that he thought was going to take place between Egypt and Ethiopia when he came out and said that, you know, the Egyptians were going to blow up this dam. I want to just congratulate all of you. Words of pride after brokering an agreement between Sudan and Israel to normalize ties. But President Donald Trump's next remarks suggested a new conflict in the Mideast Africa region. It's a very dangerous situation because Egypt is not going to be able to live that way. And they'll end up blowing up the dam. And I said it and I say it loud and clear. They'll blow up that dam and they have to do something because they could have stopped it. They should have stopped it long before it was started. I said, how do you let it get built? And then you say they have a dam.
Trump preceded those words with actions. He ordered aid for Ethiopia to be stopped over its failure to respect a U.S.-brokered agreement with Egypt and Sudan over the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. Ethiopia began to fill the dam's reservoir in July, provoking anger in Egypt. With U.S. President, a close ally to Egypt's Abdel Fattah Sisi, he was asked to intervene as a peace broker. But Ethiopia never appeared at ease with Trump's mediation and accused him of favoring Egypt. Trump's latest remarks drew a quick response from Ethiopian Prime Minister. And Ethiopia has summoned Michael Rayner, the American ambassador to Addis Ababa, in protest. Occasional statements of belligerent threats to have Ethiopia succumb to unfair terms still abound. These threats and affronts to Ethiopian sovereignty are misguided, unproductive and clear violations of international law. Ethiopia will not cave into aggressions of any kind. So, you know, we can clearly see that, you know, the United States, they have uh, um, a specific interest in this damn project uh, not being completed. And primarily my thoughts on this is that that is due to the fact that they want to keep Africa underdeveloped because when people can start to develop economically, then what's the next move? They can just start to develop militarily. And if they start to develop militarily, then they could begin to protect not only themselves, but also protect other countries in Africa. For example, Ethiopia right now, Ethiopian Airlines is the major airline on the African continent. And many African countries rely on this airline, not only to fly throughout the African continent, but to fly to other countries around the world. So the same way that this airline is used by multiple African countries for travel, when one African country can develop a strong military and you develop the concept of a United States of Africa, not from a cultural standpoint, but from a structural standpoint in African countries dropping their ethnic differences and coming together and unifying and creating a system that will prohibit things from happening like military coups and other, you know, destabilization, uh, destabilization attempts from happening, then you become stronger as a continent. That's a whole nother discussion that we'll you know, have to go into. But this didn't end with the Donald Trump administration. So this shows you that no matter who the president is of the United States, when it comes to the African continent, there's only one agenda. And that agenda is exploitation, exploitation and uh, genocide. That's the only agenda of any American president. It didn't change with Barack, Barack Obama, even though he was part Kenyan. It didn't change um, with Bill Clinton, George Bush or any other presidents. All of these presidents have the same agenda when it comes to Africa. And Joe Biden is no different. You know, so now Joe Biden is sanctioning Ethiopia based on what he's saying is a humanitarian crisis. So when we look at the words of Joe Biden, he says that the ongoing conflict in northern Ethiopia is a tragedy causing immense human suffering and threatens the unity of the Ethiopian state. Nearly one million people are living in famine-like conditions 
and millions more face acute food insecurity as a direct consequence of the violence. Humanitarian workers have been blocked, harassed, and killed. I'm appalled by the reports of mass murder, rape, and other sexual violence to terrorize civilian populations. Now, you can go on the whitehouse.gov and read this full statement by Joe Biden where he's sanctioning certain members of the Ethiopian government. But if sanctioning Ethiopia, if the criteria for sanctioning Ethiopia is based upon the humanitarian crisis, then why are there no sanctions on Indonesia over the crisis that's been happening for years on the people of West Papua and the genocide is being committed amongst these people? Hmm. Thousands of people losing their lives every day. And the United States still has trade deals and still looks at Indonesia as a working partner because of their access to the South China Sea. So why are, are they not being sanctioned, but Ethiopia is being sanctioned? Because under the eyes of the Europeans, it's never about genocide. They can care less if black people get killed. Now, if, if this was a Northern African country where there was some whites and there was some genocide happening, then yeah, they might just go in there just because you know it's a humanitarian crisis but when it comes to black people sub-saharan black african people they don't care about black people dying matter of fact their goal is for the african continent to be depopulated and they've stated this so we don't even have to go into that but in saying all of this it shows you that their agenda is not about that their agenda is about economic exploitation and economic gain and it thoroughly genocide so they know that ethiopia represents sovereignty development and independence if we look at the indonesian relations between the united states you can read this on the state's website now this is the current relationship between these two countries and it's in good standing even though people are being killed there every day and it's still happening so when i looked at president or prime minister excuse me abi Ahmed's response to what's been happening i think that he's doing a, a excellent job of jumping out on the forefront and controlling the uh narrative because one of the things that they do in the media is they try to create or paint this picture of a place or a country or a people to demonize them so that people will be in acceptance of what's happening. There's no reason why black people in America shouldn't be outraged over the situation that they're trying to do in Ethiopia. So he released a tweet and he released other statements that we're going to, but one of the tweets he released was here is where he said that Ethiopia, our beauty is in our unity. When we stand together, we can overcome anything. We stand on the shoulders of our ancestors that paid great sacrifices for us and today we stand committed to laying a solid foundation for generations to come may god bless ethiopia so what is he saying here we talked about the battle of adwa we talked about the ethiopian italian war we talked about the importance of what our ancestors did in ethiopia to keep ethiopia independent free and sovereign and he's Related to that because he knows that it's a similar situation that they're dealing with right now. 
the people of Ethiopia have conflicts. We know this. There are some legitimate conflicts that are going on, but every country has conflicts. And it's up to the, the country and the people to deal with those conflicts, not for the United States, Egypt, Sudan, or anybody else to come in and try to deal with these conflicts. So at, at previous rallies that took place over the weekend, you know, the Ethiopian government is telling the people, you know, we're going to have to arm ourselves and defend ourselves and defend the country against people who they consider to be terrorists. Now, I don't know if many of you that's watching this on YouTube can look into the comments, but there's already these bots type of comments that are coming in on this YouTube page of, you know, some pro-American or pro-Biden uh, type of comments, which we know, you know, they probably looked at the title of this video and in efforts to continue to push their propaganda, you know, they have these, these bots that will function in their favor uh, this way. But when you actually get on the ground and you talk to the people, the majority of the people are in support of the prime minister of Ethiopia. And once again, this is not me stating that I agree with everything that the prime minister has done or is doing. What I'm stating is that we cannot allow Joe Biden and the United States to destabilize the country for their own political gain, to try to implant a, a puppet leader that will then put it into the damn project or do whatever they want to be done. So we look at the Tigray People's Liberation Front or TPLF, who is supposedly advancing on the capital of Addis Ababa and who the Ethiopian military is currently at war with. I haven't spoken to you know anybody in TPLF and I know that they may represent an agenda that they believe, you know, the Tigray people um, should have control over the government. But what they don't recognize is that by them working with Europeans and by them uh, cutting deals with the European, they're just being used as a tool to destabilize the country to then work towards the advantage of America. And this is what we saw happen in Libya, where we saw these different rebel groups who some of who were funded by the United States government work to destabilize Libya, ultimately overthrow and kill Muammar Gaddafi, and now look at the status of the country. Hmm. It's never been the same. So here you can see this is a statement that was released. The Ethiopian government on Tuesday declared a nationwide state of emergency and ordered the residents of Addis Ababa to prepare and defend their neighborhoods. Amin fears that the Tigrayan rebels were heading for the capital. And it goes on to say here, under the measures, several restrictions, which include a curfew, road closures, and searches of anyone suspecting of collaborating with terror groups, will be imposed according to the state affiliate broadcaster for now. So I also thought that it was important that Addis Ababa, 
I mean, excuse me, that Abiy Ahmed and the Ethiopian government classified these rebel groups as terrorist groups because in many cases they're trying to demonize the government but not pointing out the fact that this TPLF group is committed terrorist acts. If this were happening in the United States, if there was a rebel group in the United States that was advancing on the government, they would call those people terrorists. They would call those people anti-American or anti-government. And there wouldn't be any sanctions placed on the United States of America for dealing with a rebel group if this situation was to arise within the country. When the, when the United States went through a civil war, who was able to sanction the United States because of that conflict? So the Ethiopian people should have the same sovereignty to deal with their own conflict. This is an article from Al Jazeera where they're getting some of the sentiments of the people that were at these protests that took place Sunday that were organized by the government. And they said that the U.S. or these Western countries are sucking our blood. They said we don't need interference from abroad. And they go on to say that if aids and loans would strip us of our freedom, if they would lead us to sacrifice our freedom, we won't sacrifice our freedom. And it says that the TPLS rifle places in hell. Now, once again, you know, I'm not on the ground in Ethiopia, so I'm not, you know, speaking on towards, you know, the behalf of the TPLF or, you know, anybody else. What I'm saying is that Ethiopian people have the right to deal with this conflict themselves. So we look at not what's being portrayed in the United States media, but in other companies that are on the ground in Ethiopia, we can get more of an authentic idea and understanding of how these people feel about the current situation, how the vast majority of the people feel about the current situation. of Ethiopia's capital came in there hundreds of thousands in support of the federal government denouncing the TPLF and those they say are foes of the Eastern African nation. Mayor of Addis Ababa, Adanich Habebe, said the people of Ethiopia will not accept those who wanted war against the country. After sacrifice paid, those people of ours have left us the freedom you're enjoying today. We can never have a drop of patience to tolerate those who attempt to take that freedom away from us. The TPLF junta, the terrorist group, has waged war on us at the time when we started a new era, forgetting the atrocities and crimes it has committed over the last 27 years. They will never succeed. Addressing the formation of a new coalition of parties that promised to topple the government by force, the mayor said Ethiopia and Ethiopians will not accept a puppet leadership. They were electing their leaders democratically, but they tell us we have to get their approval for us to form a government. They are even showing us their wish of putting on us a puppet government. That will never succeed and will never happen here. The mood at Moscow Square can be described as one that is filled with patriotism and courage hope and determination by the people gathered. Meanwhile, war has continued on the north 
and we have heard of serious battles in and around the cities of Dessa and Kabulcha, which were recently fell to the hands of the rebel force. Attempts uh, for peace talks to begin also remain ongoing. Ethiopia. So I say all of that to say once again that here in the U.S., what we can do from abroad in the diaspora is support the Ethiopians against an American attempt or United States attempt to destabilize the country. They have to deal with the, the conflict that is going on. They are there in the country. They understand the conflict that is going on better than we can understand this conflict. But what we can do is we can make our voices heard here. We can protest here and we can work with the Ethiopians who do live here to make their voices heard and spreading this message and making it be heard to the government here that we're not going to allow Ethiopia to be overthrown or any type of neo-colonial destabilization attempt to happen in the country without a serious fight. And I want to leave with this quote by the Honorable Marcus Garvey, who also saw the importance of Ethiopia as relates to the African continent and to African people, where he said, wake up Ethiopia, wake up Africa, let us work towards the one glorious end of a free, redeemed, and mighty nation. Let Africa be a bright star among the constellation of nations. And Bibi Fahodier. Bibi Fahodier, Brother Amos. You know, just like, uh, you know, Dr. King said about the war in Vietnam, in international conflicts, the truth is hard to come by because most nations are deceived about themselves. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's difficult um, to try to, to understand, you know, a lot of the conflicts that are taking place in Africa, the, the Sahel region is literally on fire with the uh, terrorist uh, activities that uh, are the result of the destabilization of Libya led by uh, Barack Obama, uh, the fulfillment of Fred Hampton's 1969 prediction of the rise of the Negro imperialist. It, it's, it's difficult, but what we have to do, and this is what we try to do on, you know, African liberation media and since we only do the podcast once a week so we try to put as much information as we can on our uh, Facebook page and we try to go to sources other sources other than the uh, corporate media in the United States because as uh, brother Jamal Baraka pointed out in his brilliant article which is on uh, Black Agenda Report right now which I encourage everybody to read uh, the corporate media is essentially the propaganda wing of uh, of the American empire. Ultimately, the, you know, there's no independent media. Uh, it's just they happen to be split along uh, certain lines for specific reasons, but they all have a have a vested interest. I'm talking about, like you say, the supposed split with CNN and MSNBC on one side maybe the New York Times, the Washington Post, and then you have Fox 
and maybe the Wall Street Journal and others more conservative uh, uh, leaning of papers on the other side. So they, they, they may have certain ideological differences, but they but they all agree that the, the American empire must continue to, to thrive. And that that requires the exploitation of the rest of the world because capitalism can't survive without imperialism. That's a fact. And Africa is, as Dubois pointed out in his uh, article uh, during or right after World War One, I. I can't remember when he when he wrote it. Uh, he called it the African Roots of War. It's it's a good historical article for people to go back and read by uh, Dr. William Dubois, the African Roots of War. Uh, Dr. Clark has said many times, of uh, you know. He talks about the, the talked about the the number of empires that that have you know risen and fallen, you know in in Africa. I, I just said all that to say that uh, you 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 take information like the information that that Brother Almost has uh, researched, uh, which he pulled from a lot of different sources because you know that's that's what we're trained to do. We we we're trained to synthesize information. Not not just accept uh, propaganda, you know, whether it comes from Barack Obama or whoever, but to synthesize information uh, from various sources and, and and try to and try to put it in in the proper historical context of African liberation and empowerment, because that's all that matters to us in the final analysis. Uh, so it, it 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 is it is it is difficult. It's a, it's, it's a difficult situation to understand, but there are. There are a lot of things, and and the one issue that's not being discussed that uh, you know, brother almost mentioned, and I sent him that uh, clip from the. Uh, it's interesting. It was the CENTCOM Central Command uh, Commander, not the Africom Commander, because I think CENTCOM still has uh, control over uh, part. There are uh, parts of Africa are still within their control. Afghanistan and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Yemen and all and, and, and all of that, Israel, Egypt, etc., uh, is still controlled by the Central Command of the U.S. Armed Forces versus the Africa Command. It's very interesting that they just straight up he just straight up took the uh, position of uh, you know of the uh, Egyptian uh, you know puppet regime and. Um, so you know they're telling you straight up, and there there are there are deep concerns because, uh, as the brother almost has you know taught us before, you know that the blue now originates uh, from uh, Lake Tana, which is in the uh, Amhara region of Ethiopia. We put up a map of Ethiopia so that people could see the regions, so that you'd have an understanding of you know what what's being discussed. But uh, it it runs out through uh, uh, this uh, a, a, a neighboring region. That's where the dam is being built, and then you know in into uh, Sudan. And so there have there have been some attacks uh, from Sudan on the area where the dam uh, is being built. And the, uh, the the Ethiopian army has has uh, you know most of their forces are there 
trying to protect the dam. That's that's why they call for a people's militia, you know, so you know, uh, civilians to join, uh, you know, the army, you know, go through uh, very intense, quick training in order uh, to prevent this, uh, you know, supposed attack. If the propaganda is correct, see, you, we we don't really know if they are actually capable of marching on uh, Addis Ababa or not, but they can create so much fear that and and some Ethiopian elites have been le leaving the country out of fear. So you know they can they can create fear and then then, then people will be confused and in disarray. But you know based on the rallies that we've seen that have been reported by various sources uh, like uh, you know the, the the China network in Africa. Uh, Sputnik and you know you have to go to different sources. I mean even even if, even other sources outside of the United States that come from uh in, imperialist powers or former colonial powers like France 24 even the BBC or the Guardian Al Jazeera you 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 have to try to synthesize as much information as you can. Um there's a lot to be said about this and we probably just have to continue discussion one but but there's some things that are just appalling. One is the the inaction of the African of the African Union, which has its headquarters in Addis Ababa. I mean, this this they 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 they're sitting around uh, playing Nero, just like they did when 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 NATO attacked um, uh, the uh, sovereign government of Libya in 2011. Um, they, their, their, their silence is just i mean it's not it's not just a silence their failure to take any kind of action because they can say anything but but what are you going to actually do to protect this government because you claim that okay uh just like the uh the the militia the, the military people that engineered the coup in guinea against a person who has to be regarded as a dictator because he was trying to amend the constitution of Guinea to extend his term, but the, the African Union immediately condemned the coup, you know, in Guinea. And so so you, you, you see this kind of action. Uh, they didn't condemn the overthrow of Gaddafi. They won't recognize the, the government that is, uh, that is in place now in Guinea, military-led government, but they quickly recognized the um, the puppets that that that, that overthrew uh, Gaddafi and took control of Libya. I know I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but but it's, it's just it, it it's it's a very complex situation, and you have to take you have to get information from a lot of different sources. Uh, the 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 Tigray uh, region, for example. Um, is uh ethiopia is a country of what nearly 120 million people or uh, somewhere in that neighborhood and uh the tigray region has probably about uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of of uh seven to eight million people but what but but what they have is about according to some sources uh up 200 250,000 battle-hardened warriors okay because the this is the group that that overthrew a uh, a Marxist regime in 1991, and they and even though they are a small percentage of the the population of Ethiopia, um, 
the uh, they were able to control the country for 27 years. Okay, so they are they are they are they are in fact proven fighters. Now we have to question. Okay, so Abi Ahmed came to power. People people finally rose up against the uh, against the Tigray uh, coalition that was ruling the country. They started protesting in, in 2016. And it led to the elections in 2018, which removed them from power. And as, as we started talking immediately about this, the first thing that we saw that that uh, that was positive to us was when he signed the uh, the peace treaty, right, with Eritrea, Eritrea, you know, pronunciation, whatever. But you know, that was a significant move because you know they had been at war for so long over territory, okay. Um, we saw that as a positive, as a, as, as a positive move all along, there was this massive con concern in Egypt and in Sudan about the flow of water from the blue Nile. Okay. So the, the blue Nile provides about 80 to 85% of the water where the when the, the the two Niles come together, the white Nile and the blue Nile, when they, when they come together in, in 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 Sudan, the blue Nile provides about eighty to eighty five percent of the water that flows north from Khartoum and dumps into the Mediterranean. And you know the the uh, U.S. generals claiming you know so much concern about you know what the Nile has meant historically and culturally to Egypt. Well, first of all. It doesn't mean anything uh, historically and culturally to the people who are running Egypt now because they're not the people who started the civil, the world civilization that made, you know, the country, Kemet, now Egypt, you know, what it was. But, um, you know, be that, as, be that as it may, damn politics is, and I'm saying damn is in the, the grand renaissance damn, Grand uh, damn politics is not being discussed in the media as one of the reasons for this conflict. Now it's possible, it's possible that Ahmed made a mistake, somewhat like Saddam Hussein, when uh, the Tigray people would not participate in the elections. Okay, and Ahmed was just reelected, you know, with an overwhelming majority. He was just reelected. Uh, was it in June or July? Last year, last November, the Tigray People's Liberation Front attacked an, an Ethiopia, Ethiopian army outpost in the, in, in, in the Tigray area. And Ahmed responded by sending the army to crush the people who attacked out the outpost. That, might, that, that may have not been the best thing to do in that situation. Because it seems that he was lured into, you know, a trap there. That's that's what they wanted him to do. You know, you, you make the first move. It's, it's sort of like the United States, you know, cutting off all to Japan. You know, you know that the hidden hand makes a move, and then you respond overwhelmingly, and then boom, now we got you. We got you where we want you. I, you know, remember, uh, you know, Su uh, Hussein's in, invasion of. Kuwait, which he called the uh, 19th uh, province of uh, of Iraq. You know, all these countries are, their borders are a product of, you know, European uh, 
maps and whatever. And so uh, the war started in, in 2020 and it appeared that the Ethiopian army had won the war. As a matter of fact, uh, Ahmed declared a ceasefire uh, during the summer to allow the farmers in Tigray to use the rainy season to uh, to uh, to be able to plant their crops, so they ordered a ceasefire. And then then what happened during the time when he pulled his troops out of the out of the Tigray region, the Tigray people rearmed are rearmed by who? You can take your best guess on that. Mm-hmm. And then then they launched this offensive that apparently caught the Ethiopian army off guard. So when, when you look at the grand scheme of things, when say, when, when, you know, when, 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 when they threw the first punch, you know, it might, the, the best thing to do might've been a rope of dope. All right. If, you know, we go back, look at Ali and Foreman, you know, let them throw the punch rope of dope a little bit. And let's, let, let's see what's going on here rather than just responding like, okay, Oh man, they, they attacked our military garrison. Now we got to go get them. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm just looking at this. Not being, you know, uh, I'm not trying to put the brother down or anything, but I'm, I'm saying that, that, that when, that when we are in any situation, we have to think critically because usually there are some, there are some geopolitical wheels turning and most often they are being turned by the historical enemies of African people. And, you know, brother almost went through the history there of the Italians, you know, uh, feudal attempt to colonize Egypt, you know, African country, <laughs> defeating them on the battlefield. Right. One of the great, you know, a- uh, African victories, you know, in the uh, colonial, uh, you know, since the uh, Berlin Conference. Right. Or, or you could probably even say since uh, Prince Henry, the navigator. So, you know, so the, the, these these things are very complex. But but what we do know is that our historical enemies have a vested interest in the continuing destabilization of Africa. Uh, one one pundit said they want to dismantle Africa one nation at a time, and just split these countries into uh, the uh, regions that are controlled by various ethnic groups that will then be powerless even 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 more powerless than uh than the country than the continent is now with 55 countries you know so i mean you have the same thing taking place in nigeria okay it hasn't reached the scale that is reached in ethiopia how can how can you tell what outcome the united states wants okay Beginning with uh, some moves since Biden has taken over now, you know, forget, you know, Trump. Biden has imposed, as is almost pointed out, you know, sanctions on, uh, you know, various uh, leaders and people in, in Ethiopia. Biden has has now threatened to uh, uh, excommunicate uh, Ethiopia from the Africa uh, growth uh, economic uh, product. Okay, so why are all the actions against the government of Ethiopia when even the UN admitted that atrocities during this war have been 
as always the case, atrocities against civilians have been committed by both sides. Why, why is all of the U.S. Uh, uh, actions, uh, sanctions, which is just a uh, just a form of war in miles to war without without bloodshed, but it, but it relieves the death. Why are all the sanctions against Ethiopia government? Nothing against the Tigray People's Liberation Front. That tells you right there the kind of outcome. The outcome they want is the same outcome they wanted in Libya in 2011. Regime change. The same outcome they wanted for years in Zimbabwe against Robert Mugabe. Regime change. Same outcome. This this is what they want. You know, we don't know what happened to John Magafuli. Right? Mm -hmm. We don't know. <laughs> All we know is that, you know, he transitioned to the spiritual world. So this this is this is what this is what you're dealing with. But see, you if 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 you think critically and, and synthesize information and 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 go to various sources, then you can begin to understand, okay, now you know. We kind of we understand what's going on, even though we may not have a, a total understanding, a complete understanding. We we can understand enough of it to know that what's taking place is against the best interests of those of us who want, you know, the liberation and and, and empowerment of African people. So, definitely um, definitely a, a conversation that, uh, that that we should continue. But but we really <laughs> want to. If, almost if he can next week to give us his his view uh, you know from the from the three countries that he traveled to we know that uh while he was over there you know there were terrorist attacks uh you know in uh uganda uh you know we know that you know there you know some other things going on in you know in, in tanzania that just like flipped everything you're gonna bring tony blair in to, to yeah, anybody you know, right you know, now Anybody that right now that's saying that Africa is on the come up is living in an illusion. Africa is Brother. on the verge of being recolonized. Uh, and P.L. Amuma gave a speech. We talked about this in the next 25 years. Africa will be colonized again. Right. So we have, so we said we got to get serious and get out of the fairy tale world and thinking that, uh, you know, everything is going well and, you know, just continue to do the work to, create the re to create the reality that we want which is liberation empowerment sovereignty independence exactly okay any final words uh yeah sure it's uh <clears throat> it was a gentleman uh made a statement uh we are the finest race in the world and the more we inhabit the world, the better for everybody. This is from Cecil Rhodes, <laughs> 1877. We're talking about the colonization, the recolonization of Africa. Uh, you know, sadly, there is no coordinated black movement uh, to deal with these issues, regardless of political, religious, uh, socioeconomic persuasion uh as i listen to the brothers talk i'm reminded of malcolm x's um organization of african unity modeled after the oaau 
you know, the question becomes, you know, who do we fund uh, in this liberation effort? Uh, yeah, I think I, I had a, a, another thought. Uh, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, the European powers, they want the wealth and the strategic position. As Malcolm told us, and they'll make the enemy look like a friend and the friend look like the enemy in this attempt to uh, destabilize uh, <clears throat> these states as they move toward uh, sovereignty. And uh, we were talking about uh, mass media. Uh, they differ generally on culturally based issues, but when it comes to the, the critical structural issues, as we mentioned, imperialism, mass incarceration, some of these major st structural issues, the similarities are identical or, you know, greater than the differences. Um, that's, you know, that, that's some of my observations. Yeah, very. You know, one, one thing I did forget to mention, uh, you know, when, uh, see, this is not, as I almost can tell you, this is not the first dam that's been built on the Nile, right? But hmm. Egypt built the Aswan Dam under Nasser, right? And it was built on the on the uh uh the, the board it was built actually in 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 what would what would be Nubia what we what we know as Nubia right which uh is part of you know northern Sudan and southern and southern Egypt and it 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 the massive flooding uh destroyed numerous historical sites that were that was of critical importance to the to the history of African people forced tens of thousands of Nubians to move you know from their homeland you know essentially it just took their land and flooded it uh you know to make you know because you know the dam makes a, a you know there's a lake you fill a reservoir and Egypt did this because they they needed hydroelectric power. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then then Sudan built a dam to provide hydroelectric power for them. But Ethiopia can't build a dam to provide hydroelectric power for Ethiopia. I mean, you see the contradictions here. I mean, mm -hmm. it's uh you know, I mean, that that's something else we could go into about, you know, how all of this, how all of this is playing out. But note, notice when you read these stories in the media, you see prime, what you see is intense criticism of a pres, uh, prime minister, Ahmed, Abe Ahmed, you, you, and, 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 uh, you know, the criticism of, of, of the way he's running, you know, his country, you know, in the best interest of his people. That's what you see, this this whole issue of this this damn politics, the hidden hand that's manipulating things. Somebody had to fund these this army. Mm -hmm. They they don't they don't manufacture AK 47s and AR 15s, you know rocket rocket propelled grenades. They don't they don't manufacture any of that. It's being somewhere is funding, and you know we have a pretty good idea. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. where, you know, these you, you have these the international white market of, of guns 
uh, there was a, a report that came out several years ago. Uh, AK-47s are cheaper in Africa than anywhere in the world. Wow. Why is that? Because they're being used by African people to kill other African people. Yeah, this is a fact. So mm -hmm. there's, a lot, there's a lot there. But uh, appreciate it, brother, almost. And we're looking forward to the rest of uh, rest of your report there. Baby, behold, that was an excellent point about the dam and uh, that's one. In fact, the Nubians call it the damn dam <laughs> because of how, like you said, it pretty much flooded out the area of living, um, which is you have now Lake Nasser in that area. Um, mm. Once again, uh, this has been, you know, a weekly production of the African Liberation Media. It's good to be back uh, next week. I will bring more information on uh, the current events as it pertains to what I saw in Kenya, Tanzania, and Ethiopia. Um, not everything is negative. You know, there are some positives. Uh, we have to build on those positives, but we have to stay aware and be realistic of our condition and not, uh, as uh, Amakar Cabral would say, you know, tell no lies you know we can't be fake about what's really going on uh so again brothers and sisters thank you for joining tune into our show next week uh, we will be posting this show on uh our podcast we haven't posted it a podcast in a while because most of our shows have been on facebook live and youtube live we'll be posting this back on our podcast so those of you who listen to this on apple Podcasts or spotify wherever you get your podcast uh, this will be added to uh, the rotation, and we're going to start back adding our shows there uh, as well. And we appreciate all of you for listening. Stay tuned for other things that we'll be doing, not just talking about this current situation, but other things we'll be planning to do to help our Ethiopian brothers and sisters deal with this current destabilization attempt that's happening against their country because we can't allow Ethiopia to become Libya, and we can't allow uh, a puppet government or leadership to be implanted on the African continent in a country like Ethiopia that has such an important significance as it relates to African independence and sovereignty. So until next week, I'll be before Hodier. Be before Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, 
those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 